0: Thank you, Brother Eric, for the Psalm. It helped us. It's right in line with what I'd like us to think about today. Thank you for your comments on the and the selection of the hymns. I think they set us up just perfectly for what we want to look at today. If I could share with you just a very brief, very brief bio, uh, biographical uh, background. You know, growing up, I went to public school, starting out like. A lot of folks do. I went to the first grade where they taught me or tried to teach me how to read. Only one problem. We didn't find out till halfway through second grade when I was failing. Couldn't, you know, and it wasn't that I was an idiot. Went to the doctors and found out, well, I was legally blind. That first year, as a teacher was up there in the blackboard drawing things away and pointing out how to do this or do that, I couldn't see it. But of course, being a kid, I couldn't tell the teacher that. So for the next, so I got glasses. I've been wearing glasses since I was in the second grade. And after that, I spent the next three summers going to summer school to get caught up on what I didn't learn in the first grade, what I was trying and struggling with in the second and third and the fourth and the fifth grade. And I spent three summers up through about the fifth grade, learning how to read. But you know, it's a wonderful blessing because I got a great love for reading from that. And so the subject of active reading, and then when you're talking about in a classroom setting or a professor giving a lecture or a pastor or a teacher trying to teach us something from Scripture, active reading. And active listening are both terms that you should know about from your school days. These are things that are taught in the world. There's a book written back in the 40s calling How to Read a Book by Mortimer Adler that talks about the techniques for getting the most out of something you read. And in school, that's one of the things that you should have been taught. At least I was taught that. How do I listen to somebody who's trying to teach me something? How can I get the maximum amount of it so it doesn't, it's like, you know, it's not like, you know, the saying, water off a duck's back. You know, the Lord made it so nice and water resilient that you pour water on it. It just runs right off. Well, it's not a good thing if you're a student, right, to be in a classroom where it's just coming in one ear and going out the other. You want to retain that, which is important. When we come to God's word, it's another level above that, though. Because there may or may not be things worthwhile that you were taught in school. Yeah, there may be one or two things you may have learned. Especially if they taught you how to read and how to listen. Those are important things. But you know, a lot of the stuff that they teach you is not that important. But everything of God's Word is important. So when a man is up here trying to expound Scripture, you need to know. How to get the maximum amount out of it. You want to get every little thing the Lord has for you. That's what we want to look at today. How can we have what I call spiritual active listening? How can we maximize everything that God has for us? As I said, there's rules for active listening. But they're at a carnal level. What I want to talk about, as I said, is the next level up. Because, you know, if you're talking about a professor giving a lecture, right? As I said, it may or, not, may or may not be important what he's telling you. He may or may not really know what he's talking about. But, the Lord knows everything. And if you've got a godly man who's trying to share something with you from God's Word, it's important. It's important not just because of the material unlike that professor who can get up there can give his presentation can lay out his facts you know you can sit there with the most you know thoughtful expression on your face you can smile at the right place and you can totally be ignoring what he's saying and he doesn't know that he's hoping and trusting that you're listening But brethren, whenever God's word is presented to you, either as you're reading it or as you're having it taught to you, as you're having somebody expound it to you, there's a difference. Yeah, you can do the same thing to me. You can sit there and smile and laugh at my funny parts, right? You can sit there and look thoughtful and pondering, you know, at the points that seem important and seem weighty. And you can be totally somewhere else. And I won't know it. But the Lord of the universe knows. All right. He's looking down right now at our services. He's looking at to see how much attention are you paying? How active are you involved mentally, spiritually in what's going on here? This is important for you. Now, I'm not going to tell you, I don't think, one thing new or different. Maybe for some of you younger folks, maybe it will be. Maybe you weren't paying good attention earlier when Brother Jonathan or somebody else mentioned these things. But it's like everything. There's only so much that's new and different that we'll learn in our lives. Most of our challenge is taking the things we should already know and applying them to our lives. And there's nothing That's more important than what I'm going to tell you today about being an active spiritual listener. Turn over to Ephesians chapter four. I want to show you why this is important. Why are we here today? Why do we all get up, you know, take our showers? Put on nice clothes and come here to this location at this time. Why? Why do we do this? We do it every Sunday. Why do we do it? It should be, part of the reason, should be uh, what Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 4. In the first part of it, he's talking about the gifts that God's given for the instruction and the maintenance of a congregation. Start about verse 14, though, and let's see why these ministerial gifts were given. Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking the truth in love, may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together, and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Wow, that's a lot of words. Let me see if I can break it down for you. It's telling us that the purpose of a church is to grow up and to be like Jesus Christ by taking care of one another. That's basically what it said. All the apostles and the things they wrote and passed down to us, which we read from here in the New Testament. All the things that faithful ministers like our brother Jonathan proclaims to us and teaches us and emphasizes to us. It's all for one purpose. That you and I, all of us, can grow up and mature. Be adults. Spiritually. Spiritually. That we, with the different gifts that God's given us, the abilities, that we can help one another in this body we call the Church of Greenville. So that we can be a blessed place where God is magnified and glorified. That's why we're here. That's why we come together to do these things. Notice, in this passage, it showed us some things that we don't want to be. What did it say at the very beginning? That we be not children. You know, there's sometimes the Scripture points to children as a good thing, right? The fact that children are very good at not holding grudges. You know, they don't hold grudges at all. You can do something as special as a parent. You can do something that's rude, ridiculous, stupid towards a child. You can come back to them a few hours later and say, look, I'm sorry I did that. And they're fine with it. It's not a problem for them. But that's about the only way you want to be a child. Most of the rest of the time in in Scripture, being a child is not a good thing. In this case, children are simple, meaning they're stupid. They're naive. And in the context, it's doctrinally speaking, right? Children are naive. They're, They're not educated. They're easily influenced and led astray. You know, you could be very good and convincing to a child and they'll believe you, right? Because you got a good voice and you sound like you know what you're talking about. And you can lead them anywhere you want them to go. So we don't want to be children. We don't want to be confused about doctrine. See, carried about with every wind of doctrine. That's not something we want to be. We don't want to be deceived by cunning men. You know, it's not that the world is neutral out there. I mean, like there's good and there's bad, and you kind of discuss. no, there's people that are actively out there to deceive you. Right. They're trying to grab your attention. They want to get you to believe what they believe for all sorts of reasons. And we need to be aware of that. I mean, if you read if you read into you know, the thoughts of the day that I sent forth you know this week I talked about over in Deuteronomy 13. Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 through 4. I call that one of the pop quizzes of Scripture. Right? What's it tell us? It tells us that God, and this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel, giving them instruction before he's about to leave. Right? About to die. So this is important stuff. And he tells them that, you know, they're going to rise prophets. They're going to rise dreamers. And they're going to say, oh, such and such is going to come to pass. And it's going to come to pass. Why did he say that? Because God had said, God's pattern in the Old Testament was that you want to prove somebody to be a prophet of God? Well, you see, if he predicts something to come to pass, does it come to pass with 100% certainty? Nothing fails. Everything he says happens, happens. That's a prophet of God. Well, he went on in this place in Deuteronomy 13 to tell them that, you know, they're going to come up prophets and they're going to say something's going to happen and it's going to happen exactly as he said it was going to happen. But they're then going to use that special miraculous revelation to say, let's go worship Baal. Or let's go worship a starting. They're going to tell you doctrinal matters that are contrary to what you've been taught in the past. Not just new revelation, something that is blatantly different from what you've heard before. And he goes on to tell us exactly why he did that. It's a quiz. The Lord says, do you really love me? Or are you just putting on a front? You go by what I tell you. My word's important. You know, most of us talk and half the words we say, we could just kind of, you know, totally ignore, right? They're filler words. God doesn't say filler words. Everything he says is important. Right. And he means it. I mean, half the time, I don't know myself what I said, whether I meant it or not. But the Lord meant everything he said. And he expects us to pay attention to it. And that's what he's telling Israel. Say, look, I'm going to send some quizzes to you. I'm going to send some prophets sometimes, and they're going to do marvelous things. And they're going to predict things, and they're going to come to pass exactly what they predicted. But there's a hook in there. They're going to tell you, go worship some other god. It's a test. Are you going to look at the miracle? Or are you going to look at the doctrine and compare it to what I've already taught you? Are you paying attention to what I'm teaching you, Israel? And we know what God said to do about them. Get rid of them. The Lord's going to try us, brethren. So it's important. It's important not just because we want to build up a glorifying edifice for God called the Church of Greenville. It's not just because I want Newell Eastland and his family to be glorious examples of believers to praise and glorify the Lord in a wicked, perverse generation. It's because there are guys out there who are going to try to deceive us. So we can't afford to be simple. We can't afford to be children. We cannot afford to be immature. We've got to be grown up. And we're going to talk about how we do that. Notice though, back in the same passage, it tells us what we're supposed to be. Speaking the truth in love, we're supposed to be knowledgeable in understanding And application. Notice it didn't just say speaking the truth. It said speaking the truth in love. It's talking about knowledge and the application of knowledge. We should know that. As you grow up spiritually in the Lord, in this congregation, you should know more today than you knew yesterday. And if you've been in here a long long enough time, you ought to have a fair amount of understanding. Because it's presented to you all the time. We should be grown up, spiritually matured, mature, having the mind of Christ. What does it say there? Speaking the truth in love that we may grow up into Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Jesus Christ is our example. He's our head. We should be aiming to be like Him. Now we know... Because we're taught in Scripture, we follow Paul. Paul's our example who shows us how, as Gentiles, we should live like Jesus Christ. But the point being is, we've got an example. Was Jesus Christ an idiot? Was Jesus Christ stupid? At the age of 12, where was he? (laughs) He was in the temple. He was asking questions of the Jewish leaders that they had problems answering. They were stumped by some of his questions. Not his answers, his questions at the age of 12. That's spiritual understanding and maturity. So that when he hit the scene by 30, he was decades. He was light years ahead of anybody else. That's what we want to be like, brethren. We want to be like Jesus. Anywhere where we're less than like being like Jesus, brethren, in our character traits, in our abilities whether it's love, whether it's compassion, whether it's righteousness, whether it's holiness, we got work to do. That's what Paul's telling us here. And notice how this passage ends. The fact that, verse 16, from whom, that's from that knowledge and ability of being like Jesus Christ, from whom the whole body, that's all of us, fitly, Joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. That's work. That's each and every one of us applying our bit to make this a great, a great congregation, a great bride for Jesus Christ. According to the effectual working in the measure of every part, that's every single one of us, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Our job, brethren, is to grow and to contribute to the growth and the building up of this church. Everybody's got different abilities. Everybody's got different capabilities. Are you maximizing them? That's how we become a great congregation. That's how we glorify our head, Jesus Christ. This is our goal. That's why we're here. That's what we want to be. What we don't want to be is like the Hebrews were when Paul was writing to them. Remember, the whole book of Hebrews is a book we've studied before that was written by Paul. Forget what the ignorant, stupid commentators want to say. Paul wrote it. Okay, Paul, more than anybody, knew all the answers. But because he was the apostle of the Gentiles, he knew if he put his name on it, it's the first thing that First reason any Jew would have to reject it. So he never gave them the excuse to reject it, right? He didn't put his name to it. But you look at the reasoning and the ability that's demonstrated in that book. You compare it to Romans. You compare, compare it compared to Galatians, Corinthians. It's Paul. Paul wrote the book, and he's right in the middle of going to town, just talking about how Jesus Christ is so much better than all this stuff in the Old Testament. But he comes to place in Romans chapter, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5, we've got to stop. He couldn't go any further. Let's look at that. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. 11 through 14. Cause again, this will tell us what we don't want to be like. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. At verse 10, he's talking about Jesus Christ called of God and high priest. After the order of Melchizedek. Oh, he's about to reveal a wonderful mystery of Jesus Christ being like Melchizedek, but the brakes get applied. Why does he stop? Why doesn't he go on and explain all this wonderful stuff to us? Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. Seeing ye are dull of hearing. Paul was ready. Paul had the understanding, but he knew his audience. He knew they were dull of hearing. They weren't up to the task. If he he pressed on at this point, it would be totally wasted. For when, for the time, verse 12, ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk, and not strong mate. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Look at that. Look at what these Jewish believers were. They were dull of hearing. Paul knew if he pressed forward, they couldn't pay full attention. They weren't used to the thought, the rigor of having to listen and think about what was being said. They wanted to be entertained. They were easily distracted. Dull of hearing. When you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. The ABCs, they needed instruction in ABCs all over again. They were in need of repeated instructions of the very basics of Christianity. Brethren, there are certain topics that if, you know, occasionally we need to be reminded about a few things. But brethren, if you're always having to ask, now, why do we believe in baptism? You know, why why do we believe in the King James? After a while, some of these things ought to be second nature. They ought not to be things that you need a sermon on to, oh, that's right. Oh, there are verses that do talk about the fact that individual words are important. You know, it's nice to be reminded of that. Don't get me wrong. But if you need, if if every time that, you know, every four or five years when Brother Jonathan or one of us brings something like that up, it's like new to you, you got a problem. you got a problem. And it's a spiritual problem. Notice, those who need that constant repetition just to keep the fundamentals, the rudiments. For everyone that uses milk, and that's what we're talking about, the basics, that's milk, is unskillful in the word of righteousness. They don't know how to read or explain scripture itself. The foundations, the basic things. And please, those of you who've only been around a couple years, I'm not talking to you. But there's some of us who've been here a while. Some of us have been here a long time. Some of you young people I could look at, you've been here all your life. How much do you know? I want to embarrass you by talking about a man who preached here last Sunday a man who's on vacation. A man who's standing before you. What we were doing at the age of 18, 19, or 20. I won't, I, won't, I won't try to embarrass you with that. I want you to look at this. What does this say you ought to be doing? How much do you know? Are you able to get the deeper things? Are you trying to grasp them and find them yourself? Or are you always having to have it repeated? The basics. What we should be is also here. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. We're talking about being spiritually mature. A mature believer. Who understands it? Oh yeah, I like getting my reminders from Brother Jonathan. That brings up things. But I know some of those things myself. You know, it's just that. It's a reminder. It's not something brand new and different. By reason of use. I mean everybody's been through PE in school, right? I mean, and some of us go a lot beyond that, right? Whether it's varsity athletics or particular things that you enjoy of, of a sport. What's one of the sayings? Use it or lose it. Have you ever heard that? I mean, or is that or do I come from Mars? Okay. Uh, okay. Use it or lose it. Brethren, there's certain things that do apply both to the physical realm and to the spiritual realm. That saying does. Any capability that takes work that doesn't just, well, even things that naturally come, they are improved by use. You know, if you're a runner, naturally, God's giving you the cardiovascular system and the musculature to be a good runner. Well, but the more you do it, the better you get at it. You can have natural abilities, but you can go far beyond just what naturally, innately you have. There are people that are intellectual, that have mental abilities. But the more they use those abilities, the better they get at it. And that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about a spiritual ability that you've got to use to improve. And if you don't use it, you're going to be needing milk. Right? You're going to be one of those unskillful people that always need the reminders. <clears throat> you know, over in Proverbs chapter 8, in the middle of that beautiful section, one of those beautiful sections where wisdom is speaking as that beautiful woman that we should be desiring, young men, you should be desiring after. Proverbs chapter 8 tells us, verse 34, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching Daily at my gates, waiting at the post of my doors. This is something we should be involved in daily, attaining God's wisdom for our lives, exercising ourselves in spiritual discernment, mentally using the abilities God's given us in Scripture. Their sense is exercised to discern both good and evil. Is that what it says? The ability to discern is that a proper course of life. No, that's an improper one. That comes from use. It doesn't come spoon-fed. It comes by hearing, taking in, and doing something with it, and doing that often. As it said daily. You know, Paul talked about in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 17 and 18, a prayer he had for the Ephesians, that the eyes of their understanding being enlightened, that they could know all these glorious things about Jesus Christ. This is how you do it. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about increasing our appreciation for what God's done for us. We're talking about increasing our desires to know Him more and better. We're talking about increasing our desires And our abilities to please Him. We can please God. We should be looking to do it. And just like anything else, we can get better at it. Or if we're not doing it enough, we'll start getting worse at it. Again, making right judgments. That comes by practice. That comes by, okay... Here's this situation. What verses apply to it? Well, this one, uh, this one looks like it. Well, no, it doesn't, but ah, oh, this verse applies to it. Going through those mental gymnastics, going through that process of, okay, what, which of the thousands of verses in scripture apply to this subject? That's what we want to be. We want to be those who can take the strong meat. Who don't need the milk. Well, how do we do it? How do we do it? I'm going to point out two places. I'm going to point out one where we'll look at the details of it. Then we'll take a look at an example of people who did it. And then we'll wrap up by going to what's already been mentioned, what I asked you to read for today. See, I wanted you to read it because it's a lot of words. There's a lot more in that, a whole lot more in what you were read last night if you read the preparation than... Uh, I could go over in a message. I don't intend to. I just want to point out a couple things from there. But hopefully you got some instructions, some other things while you're doing it. How do we go about this process of spiritual active listening? Proverbs chapter 2. I mean, I don't think that should be a surprise that I should run to Proverbs, right? If I'm talking about understanding and wisdom. That's something we should have understood and talked about and seeing brother Jonathan's Proverbs commentaries on a daily basis. I mean, that's the first place you should want to run, right? right? And it's given to us on a silver platter. Proverbs chapter two verses one through five. My son and brethren take that literally. Unless you're female. In which case substitute my daughter. And don't think it's Solomon writing to Rehoboam. Take it in the sense of the Lord Jehovah speaking to you. Because that's what it is. The same emotion, more emotion, deeper emotion than Solomon felt for Rehoboam as he wrote this, is what God feels towards us. My son, if thou wilt receive my words, and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom, and apply thine heart unto understanding. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver, and searchest for her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord, and find the knowledge of God. God has told us what to do and what the result's going to be. He's told us, we'll go over those in a second, about five or six things He's told us to do. And He's told us what the result's going to be. Then, when you've done these things, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. That's what we want. That's what we've got to have. Fear of the Lord. The knowledge of God. How do we do it? Is it very complicated? Is it something that's going to take a PhD to obtain? No. Matter of fact, if you've got a PhD, there's a whole lot of things that you've learned in the process you're going to have to unlearn. If the truth be told. You're going to have to unlearn some things. Matter of fact, the very first point, a PhD is very difficult for him to be able to do any of this. If you know anything about the educational system and the pride that's engendered in it, the very first point is so hard for somebody in that system. My son, if thou wilt receive my words. Do you receive the words of God when they're given to you? When you hear a man up here Speaking, unless you hear something right off the bat that clues you in, he's way off track. Are you ready to receive it? Do you come ready to take what's in your mind, your preconceived notions and set it aside? Or do you have that locked in place and you're ready to scrutinize and attack anything that comes in contrary to what you hear? My son, if you will receive my words, do we receive the words of God when they're presented to us? It's a simple point. But if you don't receive them, it's ended. That's why I say for somebody with a Ph.D., do you know what you have to do to get a Ph.D.? Aside from a lot of time in school. What you've got to do is you're coming up with a thesis. You're coming up with some piece of knowledge or some piece, some theory, actually, of some area, very narrow area of understanding that's unique and different from what anybody has ever said. That's how you get it. That's how you get a Ph.D., by looking at things differently from everybody else. Something unique, something you can thump your chest on and say, I wrote that. I came up with that smart idea. That's what you do to get a PhD. Believe me, I was looking at that kind of stuff. I've talked to people who've done that kind of thing. That's how you get it, brethren, in today's world. You come up with something very unique and different from anybody else, and you defend it. You come in with your blinders already on to say, this is what I believe truth is. And it's worse than that because, as I said, that big P word, you know, minor thing, had a little bit to do maybe with something in the Garden of Eden. You know, because how would it have gotten started if Satan had been content with where he was as the covering cherub? He wasn't content. He wanted something more. He wanted everybody else to worship him like God. He was smart enough to know, I'm not better than God. He said, I'll be like the most high. Well, sorry, there's nobody like him. And your desire to be like him in that aspect was pride. Well, do you humble yourself? Can you say one of the verses that is one of the foundations of this church and mean it? Proverbs 119, 124. Proverbs one nineteen one twenty four Excuse me, one twenty eight Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right. And I hate every false way. Can you say that in your heart? I don't care what you say to me. I don't care what you're saying. If you say amen right now to it, it would be nice if you did. But, you know, I don't care. In your heart of hearts, as you look at a passage of Scripture, As you're listening to me right now, when you hear something that you look in God's word and says, yep, that matches up. Are you ready to say, Lord, I esteem that to be the truth. And I hate everything that's contrary to it. Including this third and fourth and fifth best idea that I ran across in the backside of my mind. My son, if you will receive my words and hide my commandments with thee. Brother, now that you've found it, now that you've determined that, yes, this is God's word. Yes, on this subject, on this point, that man is saying what God says. What do you do with it? I mean, is it like you just found a a gem, you know, a beautifully faceted, you know, three ounce ruby, right? (laughs) Minor thing. You find those all a day, right? I don't think so. But you find that, you look at it, and you say, oh boy, yeah, that's a ruby. Oh, it's fastened so nicely. Yeah. Toss it over your shoulder. What benefit would that be to you? None. Brethren, it's the same thing. If you receive it, oh yeah, that's God's Word. So what? And you don't do something with it. You've got to hide it away. You've got to take steps to store it in your mind. It's one of those facts of the scriptures that you need to retain. What did that same Psalm 119, oh brethren, if you want something that you ought to memorize, oh, it's a wonderful thing, Psalm 119. I know it's intimidating. 170 something verses? Yeah, it's intimidating. But I tell you, there's nothing better for prayer to stimulate your prayer, to stimulate your just spiritual desires. In Psalm 119, because what's it all about? It's about God's glory in His word. His revelation to us. You say, "Why is that so important, Newell? Why do we so emphasize that here in this congregation? Brethren, you can go out there and you see God's glory. I'll grant you that, but it's only a very small thing that you're going to see with the eyes of the flesh. You got to see it with the eyes of the spirit. And the only way you see it with the eyes of the spirit is when God reveals it to you. And that's what this book is. It's God's revelation to us. It's God coming down and saying, come over here. Let's sit over here for a second. Let's talk about some things. You see that over there and you think, "This." let me tell you what's really going on behind the scenes. You want an insider trading viewpoint? Read the Bible. It's God's insider trading viewpoint on the world, on reality, on life. That's what you need, brethren. Psalm 119 is talking about the word of God, the revelation of God, where God shares his secrets with us. And in Psalm 119, verse 11, I want to read it because I could probably quote it, but I don't want to get a word wrong. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You see, brethren, these aren't just facts we're trying to memorize so we can regurgitate them back on a test. These are precious truths that will bring us closer to God. What is it that separates us from God? Was it over in Malachi? Someplace over there, one of the minor prophets, where God tells us that, you know, that my arm's not shortened. I think it's Isaiah. My arm's not shortened. That I can't come to you. It's your sins. Your sins separate us. And the whole point of God saying that is that we can do something about those sins. But you can only do something about them if you know it. You can only do something about sin if you know what is sin. Brethren, whenever we look at ourselves, oh, we're just beautiful, aren't we? We're just wonderful. Oh, we had, even when we did something wrong, we had the best of motives when we did it, didn't we? We've never done anything wrong in our lives, really. Just everybody else misunderstood us. Yeah, I go over to Jeremiah and I hear the Lord saying, or Jeremiah from the Lord saying, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It goes on to say the Lord knows it. So, brethren, we need the word so we can look at ourselves and say, oh, oh, no. I've got that in my life i got to get rid of it. That's what the Word's good for. To help us find our sin. To confess it. Get rid of it. It's good to help us. We've already been seeing some things. We don't want to be like children. We want to be like adults. Right? We don't want to be unlearned. We want to be wise and understanding. See, it shows us both what we don't want to be. It shows us what we want to be. What we want to pattern ourselves after. It's already seen over in Ephesians. We want to be like Jesus Christ. Well, what was Jesus Christ like? We go to the Bible to find out. That's why the Scriptures are so important. I want to hide Scripture in my heart. I want to hold on to what I found out as God's truth so that I can see the sin in my life. So I can put it off. I want to hide it so I can see what's righteousness. What is truth? What is good? What is appropriate? Once I've got that, I can then start putting that into my life. We want to hide it. We want to work to retain what God's given us. What good is it if you find, like I said, back to that beautiful three-ounce ruby? It's good if I take it and stick it in my coat pocket, right? And make sure that there's not a a hole in that coat pocket so it falls out. But if I just take it and look at it, you know, right there in a spot and say, Oh, wow, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that lovely? Toss it over the corner and forget about it. That's the same thing as taking some precious truth that Brother Jonathan has given us. Some precious truth that Brother Charlie has prepared to give us this afternoon. That Brother Matthew's ready to give us. That Brother Nathan's ready to give us. We look at it while they're speaking. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that nice? And then we walk away and forget it. Don't do something with it. We've got to actively hide it away so we don't forget it. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom. Brethren, we need to direct our attention. I don't know about you, brethren, but I can be so flighty at times. My mind can be like a balloon let loose. You know, you blow up a balloon, you know, and you hold it there and you let it loose. Does it just go in a straight direction? Can you aim it? I mean, you aim it at something that's going to end up behind you, right? Right. It could go, and it's going to go every sort of way to go there. That's my mind. That's my mind. I mean, I can sit there and be listening to something, researching a topic, you know. I'll be on it for a minute or two, then all of a sudden I'll see a word and boom! My mind's chasing something else. We've got to incline ourselves. We've got to funnel ourselves down and focus on things. We want to direct our attention To God's ways. So that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom. We don't want ourselves to get off topic. If we're studying something. You know, the pastor could be saying things. And sometimes, you know, he may say something that's a good rabbit for your mind to run. But all too often, you're running that rabbit while he's going on a piece of important truth the Lord's given him to give to us. And you're losing, I mean... I'll be. I'll tell you, brethren, I'll give you a little secret to how I think about things. I look at what we've been taught in certain areas, like authority. What's the practical implications of authority in our congregation? The practical implications are that God chose a particular man at a particular time to be my pastor, New Easton's pastor. I I, I, you know, No offense to you guys, but I'm going to think about you for right now. He chose him for me. The almighty God, who knows New Eastland better than New Eastland knows himself, chose that man. He inspired, not in Scripture, but I mean, he planted ideas in that man's mind about what needs to be done. I, I'm like you guys. I can walk in here and think, well, why didn't he preach on that? Or, "Wow, well, I was reading this thing last week. But no, I trust my God. I trust my God that he's directing the mind of my pastor to what is best for the needs of this congregation. I need to pay attention to what he's saying. Otherwise, the benefit that Jehovah God has for New Eastland is lost. It's wasted. You know, Sister Rachel can get benefit from it. Brother Mark can get benefit from it. But New Eastland's going to be lost on the benefit I could have gotten if I don't pay attention to it. And see, God's so wonderful. God is so wise. God is so immensely God that he can have Brother Jonathan say something that can touch all three of us and all the rest of you together in a different way. Even from our pastor who's a limited being. He does it in his word all the time, doesn't he? He's not limited to what he can say through people, is he? Not if he's God. Not if he's the God that is portrayed in this book. So, I need to focus my attention. I need to incline my ear to what's being said, to what's going on. Psalm 119, verse 36. Psalm 119 and verse 36 tells us, my fingers will get there. Incline my heart unto thy testimonies and not to covetousness. Again, that's the whole point of inclining. is that You're directing your attention. You're pulling it away from this over thing here. As the passage says, covetousness, something we don't want, and directing it to something we do want. God's word. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee, so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding. We need to apply ourselves. Did you ever have that happen? You know, you're, you're, you came back and you, you had like a C on the test, and the teacher said, you're just not applying yourself. What did that mean? It means you weren't giving forth all the effort needed to make a better grade. Right? Brethren, we need to extend the effort to practice what we learn. That's why I said this is another level above active listening. This is spiritual active listening. We're not just talking about, okay, on the doctrine of authority, you know, I'm taught that, yes, in religious matters, pastors are over the members of the congregation, and they're all under the word of God. Now I've got that down. I can put that down in the test, right? No, it's applying it in my life. is doing something practical with it. If you hear me talked about recently about the difference of head knowledge, that's what I'm talking about. It's not just something I want to regurgitate on a test. It's something I want to live by. Psalm 119 again, surprise. Verse 59 tells us. I thought on my ways and turned my feet Under thy testimonies. Look at the practical import of the things of Scripture. I thought I was listening to what the pastor said. I was listening to what that brother was up there exhorting me. I've already determined, yes, it's an agreement with Scripture. Yes, I need to hide that away. I'm looking at it. I'm focusing my attention on it. And I'm realizing that has impact to my life. I've been going the wrong direction. I'm going to change my direction. Instead of going that way, where I have been going, because of this new information I've obtained from a man speaking from God's Word, I'm changing. I'm going to go in this direction now. Because this is in line with the highway of holiness we've heard about, right? This is where righteousness lies. I've been off to the side. Pfft. Change the course. you want to apply it to your life. you want to apply it to wherever it fits. If you're a father, apply it to your lives of your children. Oh, but I don't want to think them to think I'm some ogre. what? you want them to go into the congregation of the dead? you want them to go in the way of error? No, I want to correct them. I want them to go in the right way. Yea, verse 3, if thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding. Brother Eric brought that up so beautifully from Psalm 119 and the other song he was looking at today. Brethren, we need to cry to God. Father, help me. And he will. Wasn't that the testimony that Brother Eric pointed out from that Psalms that we looked at this morning? Why was David willing and wanting to call to to God? Not just because he was thirsty spiritually, but it's because he remembered. He knew, I have been in this state before. I called unto God. He heard me. He delivered me. I'm going to call on him again because he'll deliver me again. If thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasure... Again, do I need to go into any detail on that? We've In so many place, other times, we've heard about that. How do you look for treasure? How do you look for treasure? If I was going to look for treasure, do I go over to 103 Colvin? If I want to look for gold, okay, do I go to 103 Colvin Road, that's where I live, and just kind of, you know, amble out there and expect to see big nuggets of gold sitting out there? No. What would I do? Well, I know in the upper corner of our state, there have been gold mines before. Gold's so expensive now, they're reopening those mines. So what would I do? I'd go to where I know gold's located. Would I then expect <clears throat> to go in the woods there and see just gold nuggets laying around on the ground? No. I know they're hard to find. So I would start digging. I would, I, look, I'd save up a whole lot of money, the truth be told, because i know you've got to move a couple of tons of dirt to come up with a few micro ounces of gold, you know. And you can have all sorts of chemical processing to do it. I mean, I would go through all sorts of steps, all sorts of details, take all sorts of diligence, right, to find the right spot because it's going to be expensive. I don't want to spend my money in a place that's going to be dry, not going to have any gold in it, so... Think of the diligence, the effort, the daily investment needed. That's what you want to do with wisdom. When we're talking about seeking her as for hid treasure. It's difficult to find. You got to expend the work to find it, and it comes a little bit at a time. So you got to be at it every day, every day. Yeah, I've read the Bible. I don't know, I can't remember how many times I've read the Bible through. One more time's not going to hurt me. Matter of fact, if you're anything like me, I find out that, you know, let's say this is the 29th time I'm reading through the Bible. All of a sudden, I find things in there I didn't realize were there before. My circumstances have changed. Hopefully I've grown and matured in the Lord. And, he's, and I'm better able to see something deeper. Than I was before. So. How do we get it? We receive it. We hide it away. We incline our ears. And our hearts to look for it. We apply ourselves. We take what we've learned. And we apply it to our lives. We lift up our voice. And cry to God. Help me. Give me wisdom. Then we continue to seek it. Like I would a hidden treasure. We've got an example in the New Testament of people who did just that. Acts 17. Acts 17, verse 11. You know, they were a good group of folks over in Thessalonica. Paul wrote a couple of epistles to them. But there were some better folks over in Berea. I say that on the testimony of the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 17, verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These, those brethren in the synagogue of Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica, where they'd come from, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Does that sound anything like what we've already looked at? They received the word. Go back to Proverbs chapter two, verse one, and following. They received it with all readiness of mind. They had a receptive spirit. You know, they weren't doubtful. I won't turn you to it, but take take away a little homework assignment. Go to James chapter one, verses five through eight, and look at what James says about wisdom. How God. If we lack wisdom, all we do is ask of God, right? He gives it liberally. He's generous in giving it out. And He doesn't uprate us. He doesn't say, well, you dummy, why are you coming to me for wisdom? See, He doesn't attack us. He gently gives us the wisdom we ask for. But James warns us, don't be doubting. Brethren, we've seen too many promises from Scripture. When you pray to God for wisdom, expect He's going to give it to you. When you apply yourself under the rules we've given. Because if you don't believe it, you're like the waves of the sea. They just toss to and fro, right? Nothing's accomplished. God does not answer the prayers of those who doubt Him. He's shown too much of His goodness to us, brethren, for us to doubt Him. That's the highest, that's, to me, that's the height of ingratitude the height, the pride, uh, to to come to, to to say, oh God, you made a promise and you're not going to keep it. What? The point being, you've got to come without doubting or questioning. Believe that God's going to give you understanding in Scripture. Then, how did they determine that? What the who is this talking? This is Luke talking about who? The Apostle Paul. Our pattern of righteousness and holiness. Right? For a Gentile. You mean they questioned the Apostle Paul? Yes. They checked him out by God's Word. They were ready to receive it. And then they went to God's Word and they said, Wow! It's true! He quoted this passage and that's what the passage says. And he made this application and it's got to be right. It's believing. They searched the Scriptures. Even an apostle was proved out by the Scriptures that people had. I don't care if it's Brother Jonathan. I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's Brother Charlie, Matthew, Nathan. Prove us out by God's Word. If we, We're men. We can make mistakes. But brethren, if we present to you God's Word, in its proper context, in what it's saying, don't accept it because of what we said, accept it because it's God's Word. Jehovah has spoken to you. Follow it. Don't follow it at your own peril. You know, Isaiah would prove of it. Isaiah believed and taught the same way. Isaiah chapter 8, one of my favorite passages. I used to, again, when I was in my teenage years... I mean, I was serious about this stuff. I'd study stuff up and I'd go, I got kicked out of a kingdom hall one time with Jehovah's Witnesses because I just had a few questions I wanted to ask them. They didn't quite seem, it didn't quite seem to be like they were representing Jehovah of the Bible. If you look at the context, this is a religious context of talking about people, talking about where you can get wisdom from, talking about seek unto them that have familiar spirits and unto the wizards that peep and mutter, verse 19. And the prophet saying, sarcastically, ironically, should not a people seek unto their God? For the living, to the dead, should they seek to the dead, those that are living? To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it's because there's no light in them. Yes, brethren, there's areas. I can't cover everything today. Yes, there's areas of of judgment. There are gray areas in life. But if you find out somebody who's trying to say something contrary to Scripture, it's a black and white issue. They've got no knowledge whatsoever. They're ignoramuses. I don't care how many people voted for them. I don't care how many degrees they have. I don't care how many languages they can translate so many documents into. If they speak not according to God's revelation, it's because there is no light in them. David would approve. Again, can you guess what Psalm I might be going to? Psalm 119 and verse 104. Psalm 119 and verse 104. The end verse of a section of Scripture that is so beautiful, talking about the wisdom that God can give us. More than our enemies, more than our teachers, more than the ancients. And it's all contingent on us doing what we're taught. Psalm 119, 104 says, through thy precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate Every false way. It's not my personal whim, brethren. You know, opinions are like noses. Everybody's got them. And you know, if we put ten people in a room and we come up on some topic and say, what's your best idea? By the time we get done with ten people in a room, we'll have fifteen opinions. Because we'll go around, everybody will give their opinion, but then somebody's going to want to change their opinion based on somebody else's opinion. God's opinion's always right. That's the only opinion you want want to find and you want to seek for. And it's right here in this book. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore, because I've gone to your word, I have found out what you said on it. Because of that, I hate every false way. Brethren, last point. I hope those of all of you who got and were able to go over the preparation last night. You looked at the parable. Of the sower, I wanted you to focus on the good ground. If you look in each of those passages, there's one verse that talks about the good ground. If you compare all three accounts, you'll find one thing common in all of them. And each of them having something else unique. For example, Mark chapter 4 and verse 20 said the good ground receives the word. Again, sound familiar? I refer you to what I've said earlier. Matthew thirteen twenty-three said the good ground understands the word. Now in the other pro in all the accounts it talks about that the people, the other grounds understood it, but then they did this and that. So obviously we're not talking about some sort of intellectual. We're talking about it grasped the truth of it. It fully understood it. At a deep level. And Luke chapter 8 and verse 15 tells us that it keeps the word of God. If the six things I gave you earlier were too difficult for you, how about these three? Receive it. Work to understand it. And then keep it. And what's the thing that's that's common to all three passages? In all those three verses, they all said, That it bears much fruit. That's the purpose, brethren. That's the purpose for active spiritual listening. You want to come out of this service this morning. You want to come out of the service this afternoon. If the Lord grants it and brother Jonathan's here next, well, excuse me, come Wednesday night when we have the young men who are going to be doing something for us. You want to go to that service. If brother Jonathan is back and the Lord's with us, Keeping us all here and we're here next Sunday morning. Every service. You want to come with the idea of how can I bear much fruit for my God? What am I going to learn from his word today that's going to make me a more fruitful Christian than I was before the service? That's our goal, brethren. That's what we're trying to do. I leave you with the warning of Luke 8.18. That was one of those passages that you read last night. Luke eight eighteen really sums up what I want us to remember. Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Brethren, you've had one more opportunity to be shown from God's word what he expects of us. Be careful. Be careful. Make sure that you're being diligent in applying these things to your life. It's a precious, precious thing that God's given us of his truth. As I said earlier, he's watching. You guys are all great actors. I'm a great actor. We can all fool ourselves. You can fool me whether you've been attentive this morning or not. You can't fool him. So take for your own sake, for the glory of Jesus Christ, because you are his child. Take heed to how you hear. Let's make sure that we're applying ourselves actively to whatever we hear from God's word. May Jesus Christ be magnified.